Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Joel Schwartz, the founder and co-CEO of DoubleCheck, a very cool fintech business. Joel has a great story, starting his career in banking and then founding a company to fix some of these nitty-gritty problems that exist in the space. Joel also is just incredibly wise about the entrepreneurial journey and has some great advice for anyone thinking about taking the plunge themselves. Okay, let's jump into our conversation. Okay, Joel Schwartz, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Excited about it. Yep, you're a uh, LA fintech founder, entrepreneur. So uh, that's what that's what brought us together. But uh, you've always kind of worked in the in the finance space and the banking, and uh, and now you've got your own own thing. So I'd I'd love to to hear what your startup, your, your, what your company does now, and then let's get into the journey of of how that came to be. All right, uh, what I do now is I am the co CEO of DoubleCheck. We are uh, what our company does is today. There's around. 2 billion plus NSF events, also known as overdrafts. I'm sure you guys have all seen them on your exceptions report on a, a statement or something, although charging anywhere from $28 to $40 each. Bounce checks, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they cause a whole bunch of other issues that take place after the actual item is returned. So for example, that the bank may charge you $35, but after that item goes back, you know, the person that you pay, they're going to get charged a fee. Well, who pays that? The person who wrote the bad check. If it's your mortgage check, if it's your, you're going to get a late fee or, and other penalties, maybe even damage trip and a whole host of other issues. And what I realized being in the banking industry, as long as I was, is that those problems can be mitigated if the customer has control of those problems. And what I mean by giving them control is, what if I could make up that deficit before the item leaves my financial institution and actually come up with the difference? Um, or I could choose which items are going to be sent back and which ones are going to be paid. So instead of the bank making decisions or just sending them back arbitrarily, the customer has the ability to control what's actually happening. So what our company does on behalf of the bank or the credit unions, when that customer gets an NSF, we send them a text, an email, and then we allow the customer to control what's actually happening. Well, I mean, that sounds like a night and day better solution than the way it works today. But I mean, what's the figure? How much did banks make on overdraft fees, you know, last year, something like $20 billion or something. So it's, yeah, it's totally right for the consumer, but it's, they're going to be a, it's a money loser for the bank, right? No, um, a great question though. They actually still keep their NSF revenue. So they get to keep all that money. So if we tried to take away that revenue, yeah, we'd be out of business tomorrow. So what we do is we allow the customer to mitigate all the ripple effective issues. So that late fees, the damage to their credit, returned item fees, all of those, the customer can be mitigated. So in California, we have traffic school, right? And what traffic school is, if you get a speeding ticket, you can go to traffic school and your insurance company doesn't find out and all those other things can be mitigated, right? That's what we are. We're that traffic school. So we're the middle layer that allows that customer to 
stop everything else that's from actually happening. And that way the customer doesn't feel all those other issues. They created the problem, that's the NSF. There's no way they're gonna give up that revenue, nor should they have to. But at least give the customer the ability to stop the problem at their bank. Right, well, that's a great analogy. I, I, I like that, that traffic school piece. Thank you, I appreciate that. You gotta yeah. find somewhere for people to relate to it, right? Just, yep. I created a problem, just don't make the problem leave. Let's stop everything that happens afterwards. Sure. Okay. So uh, you alluded to the fact that you've worked in the baking industry for a long time. Tell us about, about that journey. You know, what was your first job? Actually, my first job was a branch manager. Um, I worked, so banks started, banks and credit unions in the 90s had this idea to move into grocery stores. There's not a lot of them today, but at this one time they said, you know, what if we can access this whole new client base? We don't have as much real estate. We don't have enough bricks and mortars. So what do we do? So here I was, I was a great salesman, a good marketer, but I had no banking experience. And a few savings and loans, I ended up working at um, a place called Downey Savings, which is no longer in business. I worked at uh, a place called First Bank. Um, but that was the end part of it. Anyway, so I entered Downey Savings. Wells Fargo had the initial idea as well. And what they would do is they send you off for eight or 12 weeks and they would train you and teach you banking. And that's what they did. So I got hired as a manager, and they said, we're gonna teach you banking, but we want the other skills to see if you can apply them and build business. So I did that in my, my beginning of my career, and it was wonderful, and I loved it. Banking was great, and I caught onto it really fast, my degrees in finance. So I, you know, I was able to use all my knowledge, and it went really well. And then later in my career, I worked for First Bank, and for there, uh, uh, I was a regional manager. So I oversaw the branches, small business, everything like that for Southern California. And that's where, uh, you know, I gained a lot more of my skill sets, obviously, managing the whole branch, not just an individual. Right. Okay. So, uh, I mean, super interesting story uh, and kind of, you're right, you had this other skill set, then they said, we're going to go train you to do this, and you go start, you know, working in the branch. And, and then, so this is the point where you started to, to see some of these inefficiencies in the way that, you know, their business was, was being done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, the inefficiencies you're dealing with the same problem every single day. And when I realized, oh my gosh, my, my customers are starting yelling at us. And when you realize why they were yelling at us, it was because the issues that took place afterwards. It was not because of that one fee. I mean, they may ask for a fee to be waived, but it's exactly what you're saying, right? I'm dealing with this problem every single day. And then I have a CEO who's saying, please don't waive fees, don't stop doing it. And a regulator saying, you've got to find a better way to get along, you're hurting customers. So yeah, I kept thinking and thinking and I was dealing with this problem every single day. And there was a ton of inefficiencies in the banking world. So DoubleCheck, which is the name of the company, has, you know, we have our flagship product, but we have a deep roadmap to bring a lot to the banking industry. Right. And as you just said, there's a ton of inefficiencies in banking and rightly so. It's this old established industry that make tons and tons of money, fantastic business model. And they don't really have, or they haven't had in the future, in the past, a great incentive to change and adapt. And, you know, now there's fintech. And so now there's all these new tech companies that say, oh, we can do this part better. Or we can do that part better or cheaper, more efficient. And so now, uh, slowly but surely, the banks are starting to have to like get real and say, okay, like, where, what can we do better, more efficient, cheaper, better for the consumer? Right. And, you know, I love how you say that, Alex, because you're right. We feel, you know, fit, there's tons of fintechs. They're opening up all these new ideas, make a loan application faster. We can do this. We can do that. All trying to either beat the banks or internet banks or whatever. The irony is all of these companies 
still have to have a bank account. Yep. Which means at the end of the day, they're still actually at a bank or a credit union. They still actually have to have an account there. So yeah, they may have all these services around it, but you're still dealing with it. So yeah, everyone's coming after their margins and trying to find ways that they can beat the banks at what they're trying to do. But the banks have the edge and that the banks can find ways to provide better services to their customers, then they can fend off a lot of these companies that are coming out. Well, yeah, it's the innovator's dilemma, though. It's easier said than done when you have a strong business and everyone who's there is just like incentivized to keep status quo. And you have all these upstarts like chipping away at stuff. But you're right. Like these are it's a heavily regulated industry. So that's a big barrier to entry. And then uh, so it's yeah, it's an it's an interesting fight playing out right now. Yeah, it, it is a very interesting fight. I think double check is truly a great weapon for the banks and the credit unions to really be proactive and going out there and you know, finding better ways to service their customers at the same time, make money. People pay for, people want to pay for service. And that's the whole goal, right? I want, what are you giving me? Um, and what, what are you giving me and what can I give back to you as far as a fee goes or a charge goes, that's going to make it relative. The small businesses, if you actually look at the two different customer bases, a small business customer is a fee-based customer, whereas a consumer is an interest rate-based customer. But if you can find a way to give value to the consumer, then they're willing to pay for it. It's how you know, subscription models work. Everybody else gets paid a subscription-wise because you feel like they're getting something for it. How can banks offer services to their customers that do the same thing? Right. Okay. So, so tell us, you know, the banks, like how do you go get a customer and like how you sell them and how they come on and how, how all that works. So we, we go out, we mark uh, our clients. We're obviously a B2B to C. So our clients are the banks and the credit unions. We, we know what a bank, we can estimate what they charge in overdraft. So every bank or credit union has something called a call report, which is public information. So we can estimate what they would make. We reach out to them um, what, via relationships, via our networks, or via referral, any possible way we reach out to them. And then we open up the conversation. Usually involves a little deeper conversation because their first instinct is to go right to what their default is, like what we talked about. They go right to an overdraft. But that's not what we are. You actually get to keep your overdraft program. We take it to a whole new level. And then once that conversation continues to go, well, we move it to the next level. Then they bring in operational people to see how we integrate. Um, they start to estimate the value proposition. We just kind of go through the whole gambit. And then we talk about implementation plans and everything like that. So it's kind of exciting from that side. COVID's obviously caused a lot of issues as far as, um, you know, getting new people services because everyone's gone remote. And that's it. Yep. Okay. So uh, getting like into, into, into your journey here, you know, you've spent all this time working for these you know, really established old school companies. And then you yeah. go start, start your own company. Like what was making that, that jump? Like, like, how'd you get the, the confidence, the wherewithal to go do that? That's a great story. That's a great story. I know I have to tell you, it took a lot to go from a, 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 an executive career set salary and the whole thing to move to startup was, it's a crazy journey. It's probably one that we don't have enough time just for this podcast, but, uh, it really was an opportunity where I had the idea. I figured out, you know, how the idea would work. So I knew the value proposition, but I had never done a startup in my life, right? Here I was a guy, if I needed marketing, I called the marketing department. If I needed, you know, you know, pens and pencils, I'd call office. Right. I didn't worry about it because I was working at an established company. And then I had the idea and 
somebody I meet, and this is, as I said, a longer story, somebody walks in and has an idea for something else, and I tell them about my idea, and this brainstorming session of, of, of how we could possibly work together gets established. And I uh, was very fortunate, raised well over $3 million just, just out of the gate. All I had was the idea, the initial patent that had been filed. And part of the condition was I had to quit my job, which I have to tell you, it was a, my career was at its height and it was doing amazing and um, made the leap. I'll never forget being at the airport, sitting there going like, okay, I just quit my dream job and like everything's going to happen. And, and now what? And that was... That was the start of this journey. Yeah, and, and Joel, right. how long ago was that? Uh, I quit my job in August 2013. Right. And so this journey, you know, over <laughs> the last uh, you know, seven or so years, how is it, like, you know, how has it been? Has it been scary, tons of ups and downs, like regret, or just all rocket ship type growth? No, no. I mean, anybody who's listening to this, if you think an entrepreneurial ride is easy, just stick with whatever you're doing today. Because whatever you're doing is easier than what this entrepreneurial ride is going to be like. No, I, I, I've lost everything. I've had to rebuild everything. I, uh, um, I, your whole life changes. And no, ups and downs and having to revamp and bring on different people and finding the wrong people and finding predators and, you know, the small people trying to take advantage of a situation. And again, I'm, I was new to entrepreneurial. Now I'm, I'm, I feel like I have a PhD in this. Everything <laughs> I could possibly do um, just wouldn't change. So no, it has not been easy. In fact, getting to this point that we're at today, which I loved everybody that's hearing this. I mean, it has been a crazy ride. No regrets. That's the one thing you have to do. You know, you, you get one life's journey. My father would say, you know, live for your dash. You're born when, when you die. There's no dollar amount, no nothing. You have your year that you're born, the year that you die, and there's a dash. And the dash is your life story. So my story for the last, yeah, almost seven, almost eight years has, has been crazy. And it, it will be amazing. Like, uh, to know where I was, that one guy, where I was, that, that period, losing everything, we having to rebuild everything a couple times over again. And now we just, uh, a Fortune 500, a Fortune 100 co-CEO just joined our company to help build this thing into this massive company. And Alex, yeah, I don't think this is the first time we talked, I haven't shared that with you. I don't know if you've even seen that or not. But uh, now we have an amazing team. They're just committed to one goal. I mean, our team, it's amazing where we're at today, but every moment, every bad meeting, every good meeting, get, you know, if, it was, if I drove there before COVID, I'd sit in the car and just, just remember this moment. And just remember, because one day you look back at it and you'll be like, remember when that was happening? So it's going to be hard. You have to wake up every single day. You got to be happy. You got to say, and no matter what situation it is, just push through it. Because if, as long as you know what you have is the right thing and you're committed to it, yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, long answer, but that's how no, it No, no, no. I, I love it. And uh, Joel, I'll, I'll get you out of here on, on this. You know, someone that's that's got that, you know, prestigious old job for some company and they're sitting there and saying, you know, I don't, should I start a business? Should I leave here? Should I just rise up the, the chains here? You know, what do you, what do you tell someone kind of, you know, going through that decision-making process that, that you went through uh, at that time? Wow. This, that question is, is a question that I couldn't have better timing. So we were about to hire, and I'm not going to say his name, but we're going to hire this kid. And he graduated college and he had everything else. And he, 
smart guy, everything else. And I remember um, we offered him a job and he came as a referral from somebody else that we had had, very, someone I respected immensely. And this person um, had the opportunity, and I didn't know this at the time, but we offered, he had the opportunity to get a job somewhere else at a very well-established company and everything else. And we offered him a job and we were gonna offer, and we offered him stock. And the rate we were paying him was exactly what he would have made at the other place. But his response to me was balance. And I said, what do you mean balance? He goes, balance. Because I told him well, before I offered him a job, I could just say, so you know, you're gonna work nights, you're gonna work weekends. Friday just means, you know, the next day is Saturday. It doesn't mean that, you know, we get to, you're, you're going to enjoy your weekends, but you get to work with some of the most brilliant people you've ever had. You'll be on the greatest adventure you've ever had. It's not going to be easy. And he turned down the job. And his response was balance. He goes, I have to have balance. And if you really want that balance, stay at your, stay at your job, stay at your career, do what you do, but just accept Number one is that it'll be just what that is. It'll be the same thing over and over. I, I became so good at my job at the bank that it took very little effort. And to go to this, it's like nothing else I could possibly ever imagine. Um, there's a great, there's a movie, it's an older movie called, I think it's Parenthood. And they were talking about the chaos of life. And this woman who has dementia in the movie says, um, and has this one lucid moment. She says, I... When I was younger, I used to go on these rides at the, at the carnival. Some people liked to go on the carousel, just went in circles over and over. And then others, I then there was this roller coaster that had huge ups and downs. That was a thrill ride. And she would say, I always liked to go on the roller coaster. So before you make a move, you need to decide, can you handle the roller coaster? Or do you want to be on a carousel? Both are exciting, but both, both have their benefits. I shouldn't say both are exciting. Both have their, <laughs> both have their benefits. Uh, just make that choice and know that, but just know the people you get to have and the adventure and make sure you surround yourself with amazing people. If you do choose to make that leap, but do it and understand balance is nothing you're ever going to have. And I, and, and I remember hanging up the phone, looking at the phone to saying to myself, do you really think that that's what this is all about right now? Especially if you're, if you, your risk is not extensive, like, you know, your mortgage, you don't have kids, whatever. What's your liability side of it? And what can you do in your life? Even you, Alex, when you're making this podcast and stuff that you get to do in your life, right? It's like, the, we never would have met, never had this adventure, right? And we'll probably sit back. I, I'm hoping, in, you know, a few years from now, you're like, Joel, I remember we did this one podcast. and We're still not where we're, we're going to be yet, but the exciting opportunities are enormous for this organization. That's right. Yeah. And Joel, I mean, you said it very well. And, uh, this entire conversation has been has been really really fun and delightful to have. I uh, can't thank you enough for uh, for coming on and doing it. Oh, my pleasure! It was wonderful. Thank you for taking the time and asking. I appreciate it. All right, talk soon, Joel. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by leaving a review on iTunes and telling your friends. Thanks.